everyone, and welcome to the Nerd Girl Podcast. I'm your host at Doc Driving Con, and we are taping from Somos Conference in Puerto Rico. We are here in Puerto Rico. This is wrapping up day one. We just did a bunch of interviews today. We have four or five interviews. It's really exciting, but we wanted to save the best for last because I have uh, a very, very good friend of mine and a newer friend of mine that we've met uh, made, made recently. So my first guest I'll introduce, uh, I don't know what I should call you, Elder, Reverend, it's Kristen Foy. It's the founder of Arc of Justice, and uh, it's, it's, it's an organization that's uh, one to two years in, you know, in, in its infancy, in, in infancy and right. start, and in a rapid short amount of time, Arc of Justice is everywhere for some of the most important social justice causes. Just a few weeks ago at Foley Square, Reverend Foy had given uh, some deep time to some family members who've lost, uh, who've, who've lost loved ones uh, in tragic, tragic police killings. Kirsten and I, we go way back to our advocacy around education. It's about a year ago on a Friday where we're joined by Ali Najmi here and uh, Kirsten and I were, who's, who's here watching our taping and Kirsten and I had a taping for Pix 11. And just that morning it was like, it was like Anthony Bourdain, the news about him just came and you know right. he, he had just right. left us and we met up and we just started talking, you know, in the Pix 11 interview about education. So. Tell us about your academic journey as a youth and uh, where you grew up and, and what aspects of your education helped you get to where you are today. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Dr. Khan. Uh, we, 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 are, we were good friends until you told me to talk about my academic history. Uh-huh. Then I realized this was a gotcha setup interview. That's how I do it. <laughs> My main man, and then it's a gotcha. It's not an Amad Rashad interview at all. It's a, it's a hit him up. Go ahead. You got my transcript yeah, under yeah, the table, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I knew I should have studied. So let's talk about it. So how, how did you how did you find academic success? Because it sounds like you struggled in the classroom. Oftentimes, men of color, boys of color, when you're a little fidgety, it's not taken well. It's, right. It leads to hyper suspensions and discipline. And right. Tell us so, about your stuff. So I, I was raised um, in a family of, of educators. Uh, my aunts, uh, many of them were educators. Um, I went to, uh, my aunt uh, owned a school, founded a school called Neolithium Academy. Yeah. So I was born into, into education. But when I uh, went into the public system, yeah. uh, it became a force of a different color and mm. so I found I had been blessed with the foundation uh, of education at home the importance of it I had been blessed with with natural ability but I had also um, come to realize that um, natural ability mm -hmm. wasn't going to be sufficient mm -hmm. to, to, uh, to achieve it wasn't going to be sufficient to advance what kind of neighborhood did you have? Like I went, uh, uh, underfunded schools or wealth yeah, like, What was, neighborhood are we talking? In Crown Heights. I grew up in Crown Heights um, in the eighties, mm. and at that time, schools were severely underfunded. Yeah. Not as much as they are today, but we can see um, we could see the impact of the yeah. lack of funding on on early your education. your school, absolutely, your neighborhood, absolutely. And so I I struggled. In a classroom setting, yeah. um, I struggled in um, in test yeah. testing environments. Yeah. 
um, I struggled with even social acceptability. You know, um, I went to a a public school, but all of the public schools that I went to were exceptional, even in in the face of underfunding and inadequate resources and support. Um, so I, I always had teachers oh, who God. were better than the system they were teaching in. Fantastic. Um, they they um, were encouraging, they were supportive, um, and they did not allow me to accept my status, yeah. my, my status as a student, yeah. as um, as the, the whole definition of me as a person. Yeah. And so I was able to tap into things inside that allowed me um, to, um, to thrive. I got to, um, I got to intermediate school. Yeah. Um, and I was able to test into the intermediate school, uh, which was a gifted and talented school, Philippa Scala Middle School for the Gifted and Talented. Shout outs to uh, old school programs yeah, that were right. much more available in that's black right. and brown communities. Uh, speaking of which, today Philippa Scala is no longer just a gifted and talented school, it's a campus of many schools. Um, so this, the original school has atrophied and the programs oh, and no. the, the, um, the, the culture of excellence um, around that school is is not it's no longer. what it was. It's no longer. Um, and we've seen that time and time again, no matter what programs you're looking at, yeah. no matter what part of the city, the gifted and talented programs have taken a hit over the last couple of decades. And it's just undeniable. Um, so when we look at, and I, I, we may be jumping, may be jumping ahead, good. but if you, when you look at the realities in our specialized high school system yeah. now, um, and you take an objective look and an intellectually honest look you can't arrive at the conclusion that the only problem is a test. Yeah. You have to you have to be honest about this. The problem with the admissions, the lack of diversity in our specialized high school system doesn't start and end with a single test. No. It starts years and yeah. years prior. It's a community resources Absolutely. and, a, and just at, at the elementary level. Yeah where you are groomed and prepared either for academic success or for something else. So Um, we got a chance to speak about that last year on this topic, about education, about equity, about diversity. What was life like at Brooklyn Tech for you? Because clearly after high school, I'm sitting before a civil rights icon right now. So Um, a a little a little bit a little bit about how we got there a little bit about tell us about how you got to it started (laughs) so tell us uh, a little bit about that and then i will jump to our 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 leader here on education equity i went to um to philippa scala and then i tested into brooklyn tech yeah my grades in philippa scala were lackluster yeah uh, my uh, my transcript was not reflective of either my intellectual capacities or abilities, nor my commitment to to myself and to yeah. education. It was a reflection, really, of a young man navigating yeah. through a system um, that did not personalize him, that did not um, that did not recognize him as anything other than a student identification number mm. and a set of, of, of scores 
um, that were aggregated into a GPA, yeah. and whether or not that GPA supported the school's, you know, narrative yeah. of excellence. Beyond that, um, I was able to test into Brooklyn College, uh, mm -hmm. into Brooklyn Tech, mm -hmm. where my brother had gone years prior, um, and my experience at Tech was phenomenal. It was a diverse school. Yeah. Um, we had students from every corner of the globe. Um, we were we were not just diverse, but we were interactive with each other. With each other, oh. one of my you know some of my best friends were people that did not live in our neighborhood. Nope. Who did not speak English at home? No. Who did not um, who did not necessarily listen to the same music we were listening no. to? Um, but we connected. We clicked on a human level. Yeah. Um, person to person, individual yeah. to individual. There were things that that uh, that were uh, I found curious. Yeah. That were intriguing to me about yeah. others, their culture, their background. The same was the case for me, for them as well. So there was a a, a natural curiosity. And Brooklyn Tech gave us an environment and an opportunity to explore those um, relationships, yeah. to develop and explore them, to, to deepen our understanding of what it means to be a human being. Yeah. When you grow up in an isolated community, yeah. your perception of humanity or yourself or yourself is defined mm -hmm. by your experience in that community. Yeah. Yeah. And so as you grow out of that, you come to realize being a human being is a lot bigger yeah. it's a lot more it, there's so much richness oh my god that cannot be encapsulated in an article in an article yeah. in a single community oh my god in a single environment or a continent or a Asian. continent or Asian. listen I'm, I'm, I'm gonna interrupt our conversation here because i want to bring in our leader of education equity here i don't want to get cussed out after no you're, you're fine you're fine uh you're fine our friend i wanted to i wanted to bring the fast forward 25 years 15 years 15 years yeah, come because on. Because <laughs> my friend, by because the way. let's fast fifty years. <laughs> Yvette Buckner is the leader at Education Equity. You're also a mom in a very similar neighborhood, not too far away from where Kristen grew up. Tell us about being a mom in Crown Heights and the things that you worry about. Oh, Bedside, excuse me, Bedside. Uh, and tell us about being a mom in Bedside right now. And tell us a little bit about the things you think about as a mom educator before we hear about. Your vision for education equity. I mean, what mom doesn't want the best for her child, right? Every yeah. single mom has the dream of her child doing better than them. That's right. Like having the kind of education and opportunities and access that you don't need it have. Yeah. And so, you know, my daughter now is, uh, she'll be eight in December. She would love for me to say that on the air. Her birthday's coming up December 23rd. 23rd, what's her name? Give a shout out. Yes, Nandi. Hello, my love. Hey, Nandi. <laughs> um, and so she would love, love, love uh, for that. But, you know, having a daughter who is now in the third grade, when we were looking at schools, yeah. we were looking at private schools, you know, public schools, charter schools, and looking at what the best options were for her. And I will tell you, um, I, was, I came, I have been in New York for 15 years and didn't realize all of the different things around education. Mm -hmm. and, and as much as I worked in policy and politics, I didn't, I didn't understand the gift of the Education is even messier than politics. You think New York State politics was bad? Uh, Try it, New York State education. education. Okay. And so, you know, trying all these things, we said, you know what? Let's let me explore gifted and talented. And I remember uh. exploring, and there was not a single school mm -hmm. in Bed Stuy in district no. in my district. How did that make you feel, Mom? How did it make me feel? It was it was the, the feeling of like not having a voice, not having any ability to change anything. I was like, how is it that 
I'm, I'm looking at all these other districts and their schools, Upper East Side and Upper West Side and Brooklyn Heights, and there's all these gifted and talented schools and not yet one in District 36, not one mm-hmm. yet taken it away. And so uh, the council member at the time, Robert Cornegy, was trying to bring it back. And he said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do test prep um, for kids to get, so we can show them that we have the talent in mm-hmm. Brooklyn, in Bed-Stuy, so we can bring, it, uh, bring the school back. And when I tell you that we went to the test prep, and it was a 12-week program, my daughter was the only child in the test prep for the first six weeks. The first six weeks, my child was the only one because so many parents were just like, I don't believe in testing. I don't, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't know enough about it. It's, is it really good for our community? Is it really good for our kids? And I was like, this is the opportunity that our kids have. And I really truly believe our kids are going to be tested for all of their lives. And yeah. as long as you don't make it about a test, my daughter had no idea. She went and tested it for, she had no idea she was doing a test. Yeah. We were like, it's a puzzle. And you're going to have to go figure out how to do this puzzle. So I want to go back on that. I think there's always, as an educator in the community, I think there's always a time and place for every type of test. Absolutely. At the same time, I resent the fact that they took away G&T programs for every single school and they replaced it with a scarcity model where four-year-olds got to take a test or a puzzle game. Because back in our day when we were growing up, it was you you finished your math work or your English work ahead of the other kids, whether you're a hyper like me or finished it differently, you would get, you know, called in and, and seeing if you're a good fit for the best class in that grade. Every school had one. Right. You didn't have to go to a different neighborhood and you didn't have to go, take a puzzle game or an yeah, exam. It was a four-year-old. The, the SP class. class. SP class, IGC, right. Magnet. They, they right. had all these different names for right. it. Right, so having to test, you know, and having to figure out, you know, what do we do for this kid's and talented test? What yeah. does it really mean? Ugh. All of that was a whole learning curve that my husband and I had to do. You should learn on your own. We had to learn on our own. But you know what? It was, it was well worth it. She, you know, uh, helped her. She, she did well on the test. But to be able to go to a gifted and talented school, yeah. I could just see, like, oh, she has a best friends who she had from daycare. I mean, she's only in third grade. But yeah. she has other friends who go to different schools. And you could just see the level of difference, the way that she did. Uh, that must, and, that and, must be tough as a mom. It's very tough to see because you can see that the education system in New York City is not helping all of our children. So even when our own children are getting it, we, we're not satisfied as Absolutely. minority. Absolutely. Even Bangladeshi males, right. if I'm having food, you've got to eat next to me because that's the culture we were brought up on. Right. So, right. so, you know, trying to figure out how is it that we bring all the children to the level? How do we give opportunities to all the kids in our neighborhood? Okay. How do we bring kids to the talented to every single school? How do we bring you know, all the schools up to a level and a standard that is of excellence so that we don't have to say, like, you know, Mary's doing this and, you know, Susan's doing that. Well, how do we bring all the kids to a, a great standard? And how do we get them all together on the same plane? I've had countless experiences um, where school leaders were pushing for the best outcome for their children, but often the system didn't allow it. We're going to move on to our growth section right after this short break. You are joined by Reverend Kristen Foy and Education Equity Leaders on the Know to Grow podcast. War and peace inside my DNA. I got power, poison, pain, and joy inside my DNA. I got hustle, though ambition flow inside my DNA. I was born like this, this born like this. Immaculate conception. I transform like this, perform like this. What else you a new weapon? I don't contemplate, I meditate. Welcome back to the Notre Girl Podcast. I'm your host at Dr. Ivan Khan, and we are talking education equity with some very, very special friends of ours down at Somos. Before we left, Kirsten and Yvette over here, we were talking about education pathways that deferred, you know, 15, 20 years ago when Kirsten was a kid, 10, 15 years ago when I was a kid, and now the present day with Yvette's daughter. Uh, shout outs to our daughters out there. 
and our sons, and our sons, and our right. sons, of course. We got sons too, but we, right. we only think about our daughters, right? Yeah, so I'm sorry, I'm sorry to my sons and to yours too. That's all right. So, I want to talk about upward mobility. Mm-hmm. Upward mobility in the black community, upward mobility for Bangladeshi and New Yorkers, upward mobility for young black moms. So, we'll start with you, Kirsten. What does upward mobility for your community mean? Who is that community, and right. how do you hope they achieve it? Right, well, that's, that's, those are excellent questions. Um, for me, what I define as my community are people with shared um, economic, social, cultural, and political interests. Not necessarily racial, not necessarily ethnic. Yeah. But if you and I, yeah. who are both brown, yeah. have the same experience, yeah. have to overcome the same obstacles, yeah. Are faced with the same social and political and economic challenges. That's right. Based on our ethnicity, based on our race, we're brothers. Yeah. And what our children are going to experience are going to be similar things, irrespective of the name they may be called by of a course. bigot, or um, or what clothing they That's wear, right. or what what language they speak. That's it's a- the values and the shared experience exactly. that defines my community. Uh, and so I have, um, I have thought long and hard what it means for every boat to rise, what it means yeah. for all of us. If we can have a shared experience Fantastic. of oppression, we can have a shared experience of prosperity. Yeah. Yeah. We can have a shared experience of, of, of thriving, right. of pride mm-hmm. in who we are, where we come from. Right. So it's really about how we re-engineer society. So that all of our children um, can um, can experience, can enjoy the fruits of their labor without being castigated or demonized or dehumanized for who they are. You know something, Reverend? I've been called white adjacent by folks that are in leadership in the city on Twitter. And so Asians are white adjacent. And, you know, we're the lowest income group. And oftentimes when we try to defend the fact that we are the lowest income group, we're not in New York City. We're not allowed to share it because of our overrepresentation in certain places. So, what do you think about the fact that I'm being called as a Bangladeshi immigrant, white adjacent? Well, welcome to the club. I've been called a sellout um, for supporting education equity. Um, look, I don't know what white adjacent means. It's made up by. It's made up by it's like. Up term. My, yeah. ma- my mom is white. They need to I'm figure out. Adjacent. They needed to figure out a way to term <laughs> Asians, and so the closest they came up with was white adjacent. Yeah, so bigotry. we don't count it's in bigotry. the same black the same, or Latin. Uh, it's racist, It's bigotry. Yeah. It's racism. It's the same playbook that those that want to maintain control of the social and economic order have been running since the inception of America. So. Mm-hmm. Poor whites and poor blacks were, 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 were taught that it wasn't their economic um, reality and condition yeah. that bound them. It was their racial, uh. their race that, that, that uh, divided them. And so, you know, you had, you had a poor blacks yeah. living next to poor whites in the South. Yeah. But the poor whites were taught that they were poor because the blacks were there. Uh, and so we see that same playbook yeah. being run over and over again, time and time again. You can cut and paste, cut out black, put in Bangladeshi, cut out uh, Bangladeshi, oh put in Chinese. It's yeah. the same playbook. It's always, though, it's the, the, the constant 
is the poor white community and the narrative that they're being sold yes. by those that are atop the yeah. social order, that the reason they're there is because these others are yeah. taking from We're taking too many seats in the schools, they're taking too many jobs away from the people. The job, the share, in the, in, the, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, it was the sharecropping, it was oh, the sharing God. of the land. Today is it's it's seats in specialized Three schools, schools, four schools, right? Eight schools. So now it's your community that's stealing from us. Yeah, it becomes we a, it becomes a have and have not. Have and we don't need that shit. And we're, we're not we're not present because you are. Yeah. And there's just not enough for all of us. So we're gonna just to re so redesign. You gotta it fight. You gotta okay. fight it out among yourselves. Miss Yvette, I gotta ask you. Yes. You're a mom. I gotta stop our brother right here and because I'm going, I'm going, I know you will. I know you will. But I want to hear. I, I want to hear because there's a lot of young families like you yeah. moving back right. to your neighborhood right. and setting up and rededicating your life to rebuilding your community, which you knew was neglected in the past. Right. What does upward mobility mean for you and your family in 2019, 2020? I will tell you, um, I bring my daughter around to a lot of meetings. I bring her to a lot of events. And she always says to me, Mommy, where are all the women who look like me? Where are all the other people who look like me? So I have to go, right now we have to look at how many people, how many women are in the city council? You have 51 members and you only have 12 women. How many of them are moms? What? 12 out of 51? That is correct. Someone else was talking about it. Vanessa Gibson was on. She was like, there's 12 of us. I was like, oh, it's 12 it's minority okay. women? Like, no, 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 12 so women. I was like, together. oh, yeah. And how many oh, of them sure. are moms? Right? And, and so you have to think about it. In order to have all the voices at the table and have people understand what it is. I mean, if you don't understand what it's like, I mean, there are fathers. There's plenty of fathers. I'm not trying to discount them. Yeah. However, if you've never had to stop to breastfeed yeah. in the middle of a meeting, yeah. if you've never had to stop to be able to figure um, out how to, yeah. to, to get your child and do childcare, yeah. I am the person who not only figures out how to do childcare and play dates, but to make sure that there's toilet paper in the bathroom every single day. Yeah. Okay. So make sure that the the women have the voice at the table who are moms, who are women, who are not just sitting around. And not that fathers don't make great decisions. They do. However, you don't understand what it's like to be. Mom and a, and a woman, and we need more women at the city council. We need more women who are yeah. doing in citywide office. We need more women. <laughs> we have some city council. We have some city council sisters out here. We're getting some hype. We're getting some hype. I'm the preacher, and she got the amen. Exactly. Exactly. So. It's it's not just councilwoman Helen Rosenthal. Thank you. We've been a neighboring episode, so it's incredibly important for our daughters. My daughter's one one grade behind yours. My daughter's in second. Yours is in third. We're only separated by ten to fifteen miles, and everything else that the media may put between us to showcase that we're different. However, chatting with you, I'm like, uh, it sounds like the same stuff we got going on in my house. Hello, seriously. And so, I, for, my, so for overall mobility for me is like to make sure that in 2021, that there are more than half women on the city council, oh. that there are more women who are representing state and citywide office. I would love to see a black mayor, a black female mayor. Mm -hmm. I would love to see someone else as another, a black female city council. This is what it means because in order, you have to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk. Because if you can't do that, then there's, we've already, we've always, we've always been represented by white men who have made yeah. decisions from everything from how do we get to school, like the mayor. How, do we get, how do we get food on our tables, yeah. and how do we like, you know, make sure that our kids are educated. And nah. so it's time for women, it's the year of the woman. Yeah. We have more black 
and brown people in, in positions of power than we've ever had before. Shout out to all the people like Andrew Stewart Cousins who are doing it. Leader Cousins, shout out. Doing it. Yeah. So we appreciate all of them, but we need to get more and more and more. So when my daughter gets to be another 15, 20 years, she doesn't have to say, Mommy, where are the, all the women like me? It's going to be her who is the woman who is making the things happen. All right. Amazing. So that's what open mobility in my community is like getting all these women, and I am dedicated to ha making that happen um, on every forefront from you know the grassroots level and from the grass tops level and from you know political, economic, and social level. Oh, that makes two of us. Um, so, so if I can finish this, answering the question, we got we got to hear the Bengali open mobilities <laughs> too. So we yeah. I just wanted to shout out there are a lot of new candidates especially women candidates, from Shahana Hanif from Brooklyn, to Mary Jabaida out in Queens, to, to several women candidates from my community that are able to do it because of our Latin and black allies, leaders before us that are women. We've had a lot of them on the show today, and upward mobility for my community is very, very similar to the stories that you shared about yours. We just had to deal with it. At a different ages, we're not going to talk about the age. No, 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 no. <laughs> However, I'm going to let you finish this section before yes, we talk please. about culture. Go All right. Ahead. Well, so there are two points. There are yeah. two two um, approaches. There are two prongs. With there are two dual tracks. Yeah. One is uh, the affirmative track. What we instill in our children: the values mm -hmm. of determination, perseverance, overcoming. Um, you know, the importance of family, the importance of loyalty and integrity the human virtues mm -hmm. that we, we want our children right. to incorporate as building blocks for their character. But then there's the other side, um, which is where much of my work lies, which is not only do we have to build up in our community, yes. in our children, in our people, we've got to tear down too. We've got to tear down obstacles. That's right. We've got to tear down walls. We've got to tear down obstructions to progress. Mm -hmm. We've got to tear down institutions and policies that are designed specifically to hold us back, mm -hmm. to maintain a social order that is uh, unequal, that is um, uh, unegalitarian, yep. if you will. And so I spend a lot of my time identifying those walls, identifying those policies, those institutions, those social machinations that are designed to hold us back and tearing them down, confronting them and tearing them down. There's only so much we can achieve um, as with an affirmative agenda without dealing with the fact that there are people affirmatively trying to stop us. Mm -hmm. Not from taking, per se, something from them. But, the, the, but there are systemic things built in place to make it that much more difficult Absolutely. for us to the, even reach. The system is was designed with discrimination in mind. So oh when people say, God. we've got to fix the system, the system is working fine. It's designed that way. It's working. And so people can vote as on election day because people don't get the day off. you got to take a day off. you got to go That's after right. the park and the polls close and they're dysfunctional in Absolutely. Uh, black and brown Absolutely. The, the, the problem isn't that we need to fix the system. The problem is, quite frankly, the system is working too well. It's being, it's, 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 it's level of success at keeping us at bay, right. it's been, it been uh, tremendous. And so we've got to identify those systemic obstacles and we've got to tear them down. And I spend a lot of time uh, and energy organizing people and resources around identifying systemic inequities, identifying those, uh, those uh, social barriers, those political and economic barriers 
that are institutionalized and memorialized in our laws and our mm -hmm. and our institutions, our governing institutions, as well as our nonprofit institutions and the private sector, identifying them, confronting them, and tearing them down, so that the the, the building blocks that we have uh, uh, built and instilled in our children can then thrive and 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 prosper in uh, in uh, on a level playing field. And that's that's you know that's the way I look at social mobility. We amen. Amen to that. And tear down. I got you the uh, get to the next amen. Amen. <laughs> My amen corner. So with that, we're gonna take our final break for the conversation with education equity. This is the No Girl Podcast. I'm your host at Dot Driving Con. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Notre Girl Podcast on the topic on education equity. It's been a wonderful journey with Kirsten and Yvette so far. We've had a chance to speak about some of the roots of this, some of the civil rights histories around it, some real life implications in the classroom setting. Real life, real life implications continued on to 2019. So as we shift over the culture segment, I'll start my questioning for Yvette. Yvette, as a mom, as a black woman of color, fighting for equity, What's your vision for the culture? I would say my vision for the culture is to ensure that we are in part and parcel with what is happening next. And technology, for better or for worse, is here, it's coming, it's, it's, it's just advancing more and more each, each day. And what we do need to do is not just, we need to embrace technology, we need to have a seat at the table, we need to be able to not just have a seat at the table as opposed to being on the menu, but ensure that it is representative of the people who we are, our culture, our families, our communities, our religions as one, because technology is still created by man. At the end of the day, AI is still created by man. However, there are ways systematically that we can ensure that they are not biased. And we can, we can be testing for that because right now there's so many things out there that are biased mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's legal. So how do we make the culture so that we have it so that the least biased forms of things are being done and that people are involved in the making and the shaping of them so that it doesn't take up our communities and we're left behind like we were when you know other ways of things have come throughout the periods of time and how do we make sure that we are a part of this and not left behind and for other people and future generations to say like oh too bad like our, yeah. our, our forefathers were just you know we're not a part of this our ancestors were eaten up by this so even while embracing technology we have to recognize that the algorithms aren't set up to help people of color. So I want to give an example of this. I happened to visit a rally, that, a very, very important rally led by Arc of Justice and some incredible fellow organizations. As a Bangladeshi man, I had a chance to see the tweet on a black leader's tweet. Another black doctor texted me. He's like, hey, I saw you out at Arc of Justice. I see the algorithm working against me. You must have found out from Linda Sarsar's Facebook. Right. Right. <laughs> I follow her. How come I didn't see it? Right. And I and I didn't realize that that's a real thing in the Absolutely. hearts and minds right. of black doctors and leaders and, and, right. and anyone. Right. So right. I was like, bro, I didn't see it on Linda's. I saw it on so and so's tweet. Who's right. a black city leader? Right. right. And that's what brought me there. So right. Right. he's like, oh, okay. Good to know. So right. I, I never realized as a Bangladeshi male, I was oblivious to the fact that I never even thought about it. the algorithm's not helping me. I got to keep 
next page on Google, next page on Google to really see what I'm really looking for. Absolutely. I mean, like, just like we have, like, we need people, like, you know, when Gucci came out with all those racist ads oh. and everything, people were like, what the hell? Oh, my God. Like, there's no black people sitting at the table. There are, right now, in tech, the tech world has not changed for black and brown women. The tech world is very stagnant. Yep. Asians and whites continue to mm -hmm. enter the field. Black Especially males. And males. And black women. And now mm -hmm. we have things like Digital Girl and, mm -hmm. you know, like Girls Who Code mm -hmm. and all those things. But we need to be flooding, mm -hmm. flooding our girls in that. We need to be ensuring that, you know, women and women of color essentially are going into those fields and learning because if you don't have a seat at the table again you will be on the menu and we are on the menu and our, the algorithms are not for us nope. and if we don't have someone saying in the room hey listen this is not the way that we need to go we need to find a new direction and a new path we will continue to have the same problems that we're having and there'll be no conclusion and technology will just get stronger and stronger and more and more i mean right now they're, they're self-driving cars who would have thought my daughter literally said to me you know a couple weeks ago she was mommy when is, when is the car going to be able to drive itself i was like girl you don't want to know where they're taking us. I'm not putting my life in behind them, some computer shit. But I'm saying, but that's what's happening. We have to make sure yeah, that safe. technology yeah. continues to grow, that we grow with it in part and parcel. Thank you so much, Yvette. I want to ask you person, as a founder of Market Justice, even outside the classrooms, you have taken your shoulder the responsibility of being a keeper to so many brothers and sisters after you. What's your vision for the culture beyond the classroom? It's... Um, it it beyond the classroom. It all it starts it, it starts there. Yeah. Beyond the classroom, um, I feel there is an for me as an individual, given my personal history, my professional history, my natural skill set, my learned skill set, that I have an obligation to open doors. Mm. And so culture where it goes is going to be wholly determined uh, by what rooms we're in. Is our culture going to mature beyond its current social and economic condition? Much of our culture is built on our economic reality. Our music, whether it was, you know, gangster rap, or today it's, um, you know, Mumble rap. Right. You know, uh, bling bling. Yeah. Um, the real bling bling is in the code. It's not around your neck. But our people won't be able to make that transition if they don't have access. Mm. They don't have access not just to a good teacher, a good school, but a pipeline, mm -hmm. an educational pipeline. Mm -hmm that broadens their horizon. And allows them to think for themselves. Allows them to think for themselves, to, uh, ignites creative sparks in them, inspired by other cultures. Mm -hmm. Inspired when, so people come and say, well, you know, um, they are not, they, they're they not down with us because, you know, their, their culture teaches them this. You know something? I've never heard a minority person say that shit in New York. I've oh, never heard a minority person say, oh, brother. you know what I mean? Like, but they, I, not, don't. But they, 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 they're trying to convince black people that immigrants are taking their jobs. And there's some ignorant black people who are, who have internalized that bullshit, who are now saying, man, I ain't, I'm with but it's, Trump But it's on being that. fed us to us by the outside. Absolutely. As minorities, the, we're not, we're not like worried yes, about. Yes, but that's the point that I'm making. Yeah. We're in a box. Yeah. 
and within the, what we eat and consume is what others are putting in that box okay. for us. Okay. And so we've got to break break out of the box. I mm. think my obligation going back to the, is how do we break the break out of the box? How do we tear the box apart so that we're not consuming what's being fed to us, but that we can dis- discover for ourselves what the proper appropriate building blocks for our communities are for our cultures are. I want to learn why it is that Bangladeshis value education so much so that I can impart that into my children and that becomes a gen- intergenerational building block. We were block. oppressed for thousands of years by the British. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. And same partition. We had that we, meeting. It's not, it's, it's, not, it's not comparing at all, but no, no, as, as far as, as, far as with us, it's, we've been colonized. We've been... Uh, partition. Our Absolutely. culture has been stolen from. Our our people have been brought to other parts of the world to become indentured servants. So there's a lot of that. And as far as being a Bangladeshi, we get clown. We have been clowned even within our own subcontinent. Inside the homes, we know that oh, there's classism. There's a caste system. Right. Even in Muslim countries, there's classism there because in, in third world countries, that's what you do. And not too many people have stuff. You start comparing who has less. Right. So with that, that's a lot of where our historical roots are. Mm-hmm. So uh, Bangladeshis are very socially democratic in our ideals. We um, want to make sure if I'm eating, you get to eat bef- like with me. I'm not going to eat before you. Mm-hmm. We're, we eat on the floor. We eat with our hands. We sleep on the floor half the time. I mean, it's it's the way we were brought up to mm-hmm. share because that's we have a lot of people with, with very few resources. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of our identity, even if it's not the same conditions here in Brooklyn, in Jackson Heights, in the Bronx. But you're speaking a little bit about being a black person, an I'm a Bengali person, you're a black woman, and finding the values in each other. And, and that goes into deep conversations. We're finding ourselves having this conversation in Somos with our Latin allies. Mm-hmm. How can we start tonight and bri- start building some more bridges the, first, the Dominican reception is about an hour away. Mm-hmm. We all got to go back and start packing. Mm-hmm. How can we start tonight and walk the walk? It. We ain't got to wait till the night. We're doing it now, right? This, yeah. is, this is part of paving the road to the mm-hmm. future that we need to dialogue, conversation. Yep. Um, I don't feel like we're having... I'm, I'm representing the black perspective. Nope. I feel like I'm representing the oppressed perspective. Mm. And we share that. That's right. Um, uh, you know, for it's really about um, best practices. We need we need to adopt a methodology of incorporating cultural best practices. You know, black people in America, um, our history is we were mm. stolen from Africa. That's right. We lost our names, our language, our religion, um, our sense of of context, historical context, right? Um, we, we, we no longer, as black people, connect ourselves to those that built the ancient pyramids, mm-hmm. right? We no longer connect ourselves to the ancient kingdoms of Mali mm-hmm. or, or many of the other nations, great nations that arose out of the continent of Africa. Our historic, our cultural um, and historical framework is limited to our experience here in America, first as uh, enslaved people and then as oppressed people. Um, and so our culture is, is um, deficient of information about who we are, not just um, socially, but genetically. It's important to know that the people you come from yeah. uh, were builders, yeah. were scientists, were mathematicians. Queens and kings. 
kings and queens and 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 built great empires yeah. that 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 circumnavigated the globe. Oh, yeah. The difference is they didn't conquer. So they didn't get to tell a story. They didn't colonize. They didn't tell. They, they didn't went out. They discovered. It. They yeah. went back home. They uh, took what they learned back home, and they didn't try to take the people with them. Yeah. So I, so so we have those experiences in yeah. our history. We do not have them in our collective consciousness. Yeah. And so it's about cultural best practices. We've got to we've got to assimilate from each other what is best That's about right. one another. And build our culture from that point. You know, black culture is is a hodgepodge of African, and and when you speak about uh, Asia, you speak about the subcontinent. Africa yeah. is the same. It's a right. it's a continent, right? There are different uh, cultural and religious influences, of course, that go into what being black is. You have the native, yeah. uh, indigenous influence. Yeah. You have a white influence. Yeah about uh, you know uh, that that is defining in part there. what it means to be yeah. black here but it's not enough cultural and historical context and framework and there's not enough um adaptation of yeah. best practices and what's best about who you are combined with what's best about who we are yeah. and we can all take this thing and skyrocket to beyond where any of us can imagine us going collectively and so you know uh, culturally We've got to reconnect yeah. to our history, um, but then we've got to capitalize off of opportunities today, and that that means you know shedding some some um, implicit biases we have about ourselves. Yeah, some explicit biases. We got we got to undo we a lot of the shit that was done over That's the over basically, the I'm trying to be nice yeah. about it. Nah, it's, it's, it's my fucking show. So <laughs> I can fucking curse here, but we got to do we got to undo a lot of the shit. He dropped the f bomb, so I'm. It's my show, guys. Don't worry. I'm so we sorry. Gotta undo some of this fucking shit. Uh, I'm not. I don't want to say in front of the reverend, and, but you know um, it's my show. So. End of the show. Thank you for joining us the today. And on that note, always remember to pay it forward. We have a lot of fun. Thank you both. Thank you Thank both, you. Reverend. Thank you both for that. Let's have some Thank fun. Uh, let's have some fun together tonight. Yes. And, um, you know, my wife's here. Go Our have team is Dominican here. We'll have some Dominican food, food Dominican right. music, That's Dominican right. culture. And then shout out to Somos 2019, Somo. everyone. Somos, Somos. Yes. Somos. You have a good time? Awesome. That was Woo. great.